Oh yeah, you know what I'm into, those hot and sweaty scenes. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Stick around for a while. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack. A total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. My name is Chris and I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the Superfly Space Guy Mac. Hola muchachos. The gore lover Alexis. Hey everyone. The cowardly grouper Ryan. Hiya. And the Scream Queen Paris. Hey sweets. This week we're taking a look at a sequel in a prominent slasher franchise. While the sequel was lucrative at the box office, it was received poorly in the US and considered inferior to its original. Time has been kind to it, however, and it's now been embraced in the hearts of many for its subtext. Before we learn more, we have some quick follow-up. Yeah, let's follow up. So a few weeks ago, we reviewed the movie The Purge, and we asked our friends on Twitter if it was a hack or a slash, and you guys, it actually got a universal slash from our fans. Wow. I know. This this is the first time this has happened since we started doing these polls. Um, I pulled a little review from it. So we have Andrew who said, it gets a slash. It is not a perfect film, but I respect the attempt. The concept is definitely better suited as an action flick like in the sequels, but looking at The Purge as a one-off home invasion horror film, it does a fine job at having those tense moments stick with you. And I couldn't agree with more. I've actually still been thinking about The Purge since we watched it. I never thought I'd see the day that all of our listeners who have interacted with us on social media would actually agree with all of us on our ranking. So this is a a momentous occasion. I know. What's going to happen next? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. 2020 is getting wild. All right, folks. Now, as this episode releases to the masses, we are just a few days into Pride Month. This year, we wanted to kick it off with a 1985 film that is deeply rooted in the LGBTQ plus culture. In fact, we'll be releasing a companion to this episode over on our Patreon, where Paris and I take a deep look into the documentary surrounding the story of the lead, Mark Patton, and how his life was changed by this movie. This week, we're breaking down A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, a film that takes place five years after the original and finds a new family moving into Nancy Thompson's house, the house on Elm Street. Who has seen this movie before this episode? I have not seen this movie until this uh, this viewing, at least. Yeah, I had heard of it, but I've never, well, clear up heard of all of the Freddy franchise, but I'd never seen this one at all. Yeah. I thought I was going to be the only one, so I'm glad. Yeah, I've definitely not seen this movie before. Really? Paris, when I'm here, you should know that you're generally not going to be the only one that hasn't seen it. But also, I know you love Freddy, so I, I figured you'd probably seen all of them. Yeah, I've seen the one that we reviewed. <laughs> I and love Freddie. Yeah. I don't need to know his whole life to love him, you know? All right. <laughs> she loves him without condition or concern for his past. She loves the man he is today. Also, I'm feeling a lot of pressure about that. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. You can love Freddie and still not like the movie. It's totally fine. Don't feel the pressure. That's true. This is one that I watched several times growing up, but I didn't really appreciate the story for what it was until I saw it in adulthood. What I find cool looking back on this is it could have normalized in my mind the idea of a final boy, since this movie famously follows a teenage boy instead of the teenage girl we've grown accustomed to in most slashers, right? I wish we could have had more of this, and while we've seen movies that largely feature male characters, I can't think of one right off the top of my head that like flips the typical gender roles quite the way that this one does. To be clear, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, I'm just saying that I can't immediately think of one and... That makes this one pretty significant in that regard. But what did you guys all expect before you went into this? 
I literally wasn't, I wasn't sure what I was expecting per se, as I just wasn't sure where I was leaving off, you know, and the first one you leave off with Freddie, he is the car, I think, like, just a fun <laughs> <color> yeah. convertible. <laughs> so I'm like, what's well, going to go on? So I thought this was going to be maybe some continuation of the family or like some way, you know, this is intertwined into like the people that were originally um, haunted or you know, in his, in their dreams. So I had no idea. I'd never, I honestly wasn't expecting what it was going to be about. Yeah. I have to agree with that. And then the title Freddy's revenge is kind of like, I don't know. It's interesting. And as I watch this movie, I, I don't really see like how the title makes any sense. Like it aren't, all like anyone that's killing somebody is anyone going for revenge like i don't know there's a whole thing so anyway i feel like the title could make you think this is going to be like freddy's like coming back and he's victorious and all this stuff and it it's just interesting to be different than that um and i expected like a completely different story i guess in less relation to the first one and i'm actually pretty happy that it was more related because sometimes when the sequel's so disconnected it it messes me up. Would a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, the Freddy Strikes Back, have been better for you? <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. Freddy's Revenge is just like, it doesn't make sense because like the first movie and it, I don't know, it's strange. It kind of feels like the whole premise of Freddy is revenge. So for movies that have worked with other titles, the original could have just been Freddy's Revenge. Exactly. But speaking of the original, I actually had to watch that for the first time in order to watch the second one and have the context for it. So... I figured this is 1985. It's probably going to be like peak 80s horror. I wanted and expected iconic fashions and hair, uh, campy, but kind of cheesy visual effects. And then Chris had already planted like the gay seed in my mind. So I was like on high alert for all of that. Um, And honestly, it didn't disappoint. I feel like it kind of checked all those boxes. So first one, Hacker Slash. I don't see why that's anyone's business. (laughs) It's definitely important. We have to know. I enjoyed it. But it was a hack. But not calling it a slash. <laughs> but it didn't get a slash. It's not It's not in my collection of slashes. Wow. That's cool. I'm not offended. I was really impressed with how well it stood up, though. Like, a lot of the visual effects and some of the parts actually scared me. So, for an 80s horror movie, I was very impressed. Yeah. Freddy is very much a pillar of slashers. And I think it's because you have one of the masterminds of horror behind him, right? So, you have Wes Craven. Michael Myers had John Carpenter behind him. I'm surprised you didn't give A Nightmare on Elm Street a slash, but I guess we'll, we'll see how this one goes. I was expecting it to be more related to the first movie. I figured it was going to be Freddy somehow coming back for the survivor of of the first movie, and that would be the revenge piece, and they'd have to duel it out again. Yeah, that would have made the, made the title make It would have, but yeah, it, it didn't happen that way, but it's okay. I, I still think the revenge piece is applicable in kind of an abstract way. Mm, and we're going to get there. It's going to be a good time because there's a lot of difference to Freddy in this one. Uh, he's not your daddy's Freddy that you got in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. But this movie in itself, you know, just while I was watching it, it still felt like a classic Freddy ride for me. And I think that's because I saw all these movies out of order. So when I was younger, I didn't watch the first a Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't watch that before I watched everything else. So I didn't get the disjointed feeling that I think a lot of the original fans of this franchise got when they watched these in theatrical release order. Like I was talking to my brother and my aunt and my cousin, and they always all unanimously said that this movie was a disappointment for them because of what they learned about Freddy in the first movie. 
So I think that has an element at play here too. Uh, I was invested in the characters from the very beginning. And honestly, I just lived moment to moment, hoping for some more of that Freddy action. And this time around, I was looking for things that I hadn't noticed before because I watched this after watching the documentary about Mark Patton and that was called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And honestly, this felt like a different movie altogether having watched that. But what about for you folks? What did you feel when you were watching this? I think I probably would side with your family, Chris, a little bit. It didn't seem like to me it was like this Freddy. I don't know. It just seemed like a different Freddy. And I literally had to look it up. I'm like, okay, is Robert England actually playing this? I'm sure he is. But (laughs) I, I, I love the like quick witty humor and then just like how he plays with and tortures and like, you know, psycho does all the psychological kind of stuff with his um, victims. And I didn't get much of that in this movie. And I think that's kind of what I was hoping for. I felt like it was the same Freddie, but he just had a very different agenda this time around. Um, And one thing that I felt during both movies was one, I was very grossed out. A lot of the visual effects are nasty. So there were a lot of times I was just like, oh, yeah. But then I was also confused, too, because like even in the first one, it was hard to pin down like what's real, what's a dream and then like what the rules of Freddy are. And this movie did nothing to clear that up for me. It broke all the rules. (laughs) So here's the thing about Freddy, right? You just have to embrace that he doesn't exist in any space time continuum, right? So so there's no like this is what Freddy can do and this is what Freddy can't do. Like you think it's just like, oh, you go to sleep, you see Freddy, you wake up, you don't see Freddy, but that's not how it works. And you're totally right. If you're one of those people that gets like stuck on those kinds of details, this movie's, Me. yeah, this movie's going <laughs> to screw you up. This may, this one I think is even worse than the first one where even in that one you have to just be like, all right, like we're here. We don't really know what's happening. Um, and I think in this one, a lot of it is like more based in like, the psychology of this one character and it's almost like freddie is making an appearance in his movie like it, it kind of seems that way so you don't get like you don't get a lot of like funny freddie or like ridiculous freddie and stuff like that so it's I, I, it is definitely a different feeling yeah this is like the exorcist but instead of pazuzu you have freddie krueger it's a possession movie <laughs> a crossing with a haunting because that's kind of how I felt <laughs> like Freddie haunted this house which is not how I think about Freddie I don't think of him as a, yeah. I'm gonna haunt this house and I'm gonna stay at this house squatters rights you think of him like haunting like a population in an area like mm-hmm. like a set of kids that like keep him alive kind yeah, not of. because some kid moved into the house yeah like I, I, I feel agree. like he usually has more of an agenda but it's a it's all good <laughs> <laughs> Well, while watching the movie, though, I think this was the first time I really thought about it and was like, oh, Freddy, Freddy's a ghost. And I think like that's a given. <laughs> but while watching it, you really feel the fact that he's a ghost. And like I just thought of him always previously as just like a supernatural force. But when things start like shaking and wobbling and moving and falling off shelves, I was like, oh, he's just like a legit ghost. And, like, that also some happens. Some people can see him. Yeah. I mean, he has a couple other tricks, but he's... Like, you know, any other ghost, sometimes he wobbles the walls and makes things fall off shelves and lights things on fire. Pops through bodies. Yeah, that's a new one. <laughs> that's a nice takeaway. I like that. Also, like, the weirdness that happens in these movies, I feel like it's not just weird to be weird. It's weird because it's Freddy and, like, these are nightmares. Like, these are things that nightmares are made of. So when the weirdness comes in, I don't think, oh, my God, this is some ridiculous 80s crap. 
I think this mm-hmm. is some Freddy stuff, which is maybe my own flaw because I like Freddy. And I'm willing to I'm willing to put it out there. I like Freddy and it definitely makes me <laughs> see this movie as better than it is. I, I know. I wouldn't discredit your opinion so much based on that because there are a lot of people who like Freddy a lot but still don't like this movie. I would I would love to see another Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Just like get rid of the previous one and just start it off with like the Eurythmics playing Sweet Dreams. I mean, I just feel like that would be like the perfect intro. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, I like where you're going. I would dig that quite a bit. Right. Do you not know the song I'm referencing right now? I'm sure I do, but I don't know the name of it. Sweet dreams are made of this. Oh, okay. No, I I would agree with how different Freddy is here. And I was surprised, honestly, in a few elements of this version of Freddy. And I think that's my own fault only because we see so much of Freddy's lore, like in, in the rest of the movies that go on. So I definitely had this idea built up in my mind. Like, even though I've seen this movie before, I never paid attention to just how much it breaks the rules. But realistically, two movies in, there are only so many rules that can be established about Freddy without this just being, hey, you saw this Freddy. This is a little bit different addition to it. It's a little bit weird, but it's Robert, it's Robert England, so you know you're going to have a solid performance no matter what. But just how much it deviates from everything we've come to know about Freddy, even from just part one, was a little bit surprising to me. And I think what else I found surprising was just how I watched this movie so many times growing up, but I'd never made any particular connection or like personal like I never made so much personal connection to the subtext until I watched it about six years ago or so and I don't want to skew the perspective of any of the listeners who haven't seen this that's part of why we have that companion episode coming out around this time but we're gonna put a pin in that subtext we'll explore it in the second half of this episode lightly but I want to know from you guys what surprised you or disappointed you most about this I was surprised and disappointed by how little we saw Freddy Krueger. Yes. Exactly what I was going to say. And I read it that, or maybe I was just reading, uh, like, I was like, okay, is this the right movie? Okay. It was like, okay, yeah, this one's, like, really gory. This was, I mean, yeah, there's a few scenes, but it's not this, like, man, like, there's not Freddy a lot. You don't see his hands, but when you see it on the main character, which I thought was pretty cool. But, yeah, I, I wish I had saw more. But, like... Ryan had said it was like it's, it's like it's, it's like this, he's a guest appearance. Yeah, he's just a co-star. Damn, yeah. Freddy, that sucks. So this is a Nightmare on Elm Street featuring Freddy Krueger. Yeah, yeah, or maybe this is like a mm, kid loses it on Elm Street featuring Freddy Krueger. <laughs> nice, because it's not really a nightmare. I hate to be the contrarian here, but I feel like we saw so much more Freddy in this movie, and I just watched them back to back. Like without spoilers, like Freddy fully attends a pool party. And I felt like we saw too much of him. It like took away the spook factor because he was like too well lit. Uh, whereas in the original, he like mostly stayed in shadow, which like added to the creepiness. Um, but mostly I was surprised by how some of the special effects seemed worse in this one. Cause usually like as time passes, special effects get better, but it might've also just been like the different lighting that they used and how he wasn't as obscured by shadow, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of effects that just jumped out to me as being like more cheesy than I had noticed in the original. So something to keep in mind is this movie came out like days apart from like the one year anniversary of the last movie. Right. So it happened very quickly, but the, but Wes Craven wasn't involved and the original effects artist was also not involved. Oh, he was getting too busy because he did so well with the first nightmare on Elm Street. He had to pass the torch on to someone else. So for fun, 
one, I feel like Freddie looks slightly different in this movie. It's because yeah. he's moist. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he's sticky. And he doesn't have that, like, he doesn't have that, like, shape that I really identify with. Like, I think it's mostly, like, his nose. And maybe this is a silly detail, but y'all know how I feel about Freddie. You're right, Paris, about, like, he was definitely, like, more hidden in the first one. But we got more Freddie personality in the first one. And the sequel doesn't have as much of that. Like, I feel that. At the end ish in the end half <laughs> he like is very vulgar in something he says and that's like a very freddy thing to do and he says like one cuss word in this whole movie and it's just it's it's just those things those little details that you miss and like from one movie from one movie yeah <laughs> like it's technically he's the guy though you know like you you need that and then it, there's just a few things where it's like they could have taken one scene out of this movie not involving the main character like where they hit the boiler room and basically it would have taken away like half of freddy's whole existence in this movie i feel like he's a very cheeky character which isn't something i was expecting going into this i always thought it was like very serious but he's like kind of funny that's why we like him <laughs> also wait i've been binging westworld uh just to catch up with the rest of the world and the <laughs> like the main and without any spoilers the main antagonist in the first one like within westworld with like the black hat and he's like in all black looks like freddy krueger the man in black yeah <laughs> the texture of that man's skin is criminal ed harris <laughs> yeah it is it's all the stubble he, he he's definitely a guy who has like a five o'clock shadow every day <laughs> <laughs> i have a question for you chris Going back to what Ryan said, was there sort of, I don't know, when I watched the documentary, I feel like there was something that did happen with like his sort of features in this one. Yeah. So the original artist had to kind of like patch the torch and the new guy only had so much to work with. He only had a couple photos and he only had the first movie as reference. So he definitely worked more with the, like he made his, he made his face very different. It's a lot wetter. He also tried to style him more as an old man. He is more of like, he's more, he was like 40 years old in the first one. And now he's like 55 in this one yeah especially in that boiler room scene i was like what is this yeah <laughs> i definitely agree that uh the difference in freddy was very jarring for me moist freddy is not a freddy i'm a fan of <laughs> it really isn't it's like he was so gooey to a point but he did have sith eyes which i did appreciate i would say the effects for him were probably the scariest thing about this movie and i'm not talking about it in the traditional frightening sense but Within this movie, did you guys find anything at all to give you a little bit of a fright? There were a few scenes that were, I was like, oh, whoa, the heck? This is a dream. Like, <laughs> it was more of shock, shocking, but I, I, I lost the lore of Freddy, so I wasn't technically really scared because the first one really terrified me. Yep, I pretty much feel exactly the same way. There's definitely some creepy things going on in this movie, which is what I look for from Freddy, but then you are missing some of the lore that gives him like his fear. And you miss some of those like appearances that like were are just jaw dropping and like make you scared. Like I'm not afraid to go to sleep tonight. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I described Freddy in both movies as gross and creepy, but not scary. Like if he was effectively scary, I would be afraid to go to sleep. And I actually fell asleep during the original. So I was not scared. What? <laughs> okay that is just blasphemous at this point the hack i can take was falling asleep during a nightmare on elm street 
I'm Very sorry. Very ironic. Also, he's gross and fun, not gross and creepy. Come on. But it was also like watching all these people like struggle to stay awake made me struggle to stay awake. Like half the time they're just like heavy eyelids, like popping caffeine pills. And I was like, I don't have any of that. I'm just. I thought for sure young Johnny Depp would have done it for you. Oh, he did. When I woke up and finished it. Young Johnny Depp was super cute in that movie. Also, his bulge was obscenely large. <laughs> oh, my God. Did anybody else notice that? Nope. I wasn't looking at his penis. <laughs> my boyfriend and I the whole time were like, what is Johnny Depp packing in there? It's just how it was back then. Also, the first half of the movie, we were like, is that Johnny Depp? Because we were struggling. <laughs> I don't think it was necessarily scary, but it was scary how little the father like cared about the mental health of his son. He didn't give a fuck. Oh, no. I mean, I feel like that's that's like the classic 80s vibe. Like, dad doesn't care. Mom's really worried about you. I don't know if that's like really what it was like in the 80s, but that's always what it yeah. seems like in these movies. There's a particular <laughs> level of machismo that is demanded from the testosterone infused figure, parental figure that like, man up, son. What are you doing? You don't need help. You need a good <laughs> kick in the butt. Or a methadone clinic, which is like. Yeah, that was brought up really quickly. <laughs> it's like a level 13 on a one out of 10 to be saying you need a methadone clinic for treatment. Like. There's some steps in between. Yeah, he shortlisted that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went there way too fast. He had him on speed dial. <laughs> but also just like, I feel like the dad was super cheap. But I don't know if that's like, because he like specifically when he was like talking about the thermostat of it all. And he was like, it's not hot. It's fine. And then he looks at the thermostat and it's like 98 degrees in the house. Classic dad move. Don't touch that thermostat. <laughs> exactly. Very true. I repeat, yeah. traditional 80s feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoy uh, the commentary about how they got the house for so cheap. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, that's, that's a dad. Yeah, that's a, that's a middle class dad. He's trying to put food on the table. He's trying to save money in every way he can. I mean, given that it is a sequel, did you guys feel like it still managed to be original? Because I feel like the first one was a very original idea, like a killer that comes to you in your dreams. That's something that I feel like Freddie kind of cornered the market on. Um, but what about this one? Pretty original that he comes to a, a graduation pool party. <laughs> <laughs> first killer at a pool party. It was fairly original how phallic everything was in the movie, oh, including Freddie's own head. So much. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's artwork in the kitchen. I don't know if you noticed this, where they have... Whether like copper or brass, little like ornamentation going on on the wall, and there's something that's like obviously in the shape of a penis. Oh, I didn't even see that. Oh wait, I did see that, and I was like, that's probably a lobster. Which, looking back on it, makes zero sense. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of like Freudian things going on in this movie, for sure. Um, does that make it original? I don't know if that makes it original, but you know, I mean, Disney movies have been doing it for decades. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't really know how to answer that. I think watching it in 2020, it doesn't feel original. But maybe the like mental health aspect of it was original at the time. And I, I can't speak to that. So in terms of originality, I think what I appreciate most about this is how it takes elements of slashers that we've all come to know and subverts them in terms of traditional gender roles, right? So we have a a final boy, right? The whole story revolves around this guy, Jesse. And then we see his female companion kind of slip into the role that we would expect the boyfriend to roll into, right? Um, granted, it did do this pretty early in Slashers, right? By 1985, we had plenty that came out, but it was still ripe for that. And it still feels fresh to me. When I look back at all the Slashers I've seen since then... I still can't think of anything that does it quite like this. And I think it does stand, set itself apart in that regard. But I will say, 
that with having this bold lady, right? I would I do think that she made a bold move in the end that gave me a great amount of payoff because while the end was a little bit of weird for me, I have to admire her efforts. What about you guys? Were you satisfied at all by the end? There were a lot of what the fuck moments in the end for me. <laughs> um and I think one of them is what you're referring to with her bold move, but we'll we'll dive into that a little deeper after, but I actually felt like the ending was almost identical to the original, which was kind of confusing, kind of underwhelming, and sort of just kind of makes none of it really matter in a way, but mostly just confusing. You're not wrong. (laughs) The ending of the sequel is definitely very similar to the first one in some ways, but I don't, I mean, it's not like a copycat or anything, but I feel like it's what you expect from the end of a Freddy Krueger movie like you know first one he's they're riding off in a convertible that is suddenly dressed up as Freddy Krueger <laughs> and you get some similar vibes in this one and it's a hundred percent like it just is what it is and you I don't know did everyone expect that I totally expected it I, I expected it to be more intentional like stripes <laughs> Yeah, I did that. I did too. (laughs) Me expecting it in no way takes away from how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. No, no, no. I like, it's like part of it for me. But again, this is where I think my bias comes in. But the thing about it is like you, Paris, you said it makes like nothing matter, but that's kind of all of Freddie's things. It's all like what's real and what's not. And like, is any of this real? Did anything happen? Did nothing happen? Nobody knows because Freddie's coming for you. (laughs) Well, I got that vibe. (laughs) Hide your kids, hide your wives, but especially hide your kids. And don't fall asleep. Yeah, I definitely am always like, uh, I mean, in every movie, and I know I'm just, maybe I'm just the audience they're going for, but I'm like, is it real? Is it a dream? Is it not? You know, and I think like in some movies, you can actually like tell the difference a little bit, like in this one or like um, the first one, I feel like I could kind of tell because you could, well, intentionally they would fall asleep, but the, you know, the bathtub scene um especially in the 2000s version i'm like okay did she set her alarm when she was sleeping or did she not or i i don't know but yeah so i wasn't expecting it but then i was like oh okay but i was i was okay with it i was definitely okay i, I was not a huge fan of the ending of this movie i knew you would hate it yeah. i thought of you <laughs> i always think of you but i thought of you how romantic that's true every time she watches a horror movie she thinks of what i will or will not like specifically i think Mac is going to hate this ending. <laughs> and I wasn't so wrong. It's It's got kind of a combined ending, right? So we have like the main battle sequence at the very end. And then we have, you know, what's going to lead us on to other, other movies in the franchise. And the, the very, the very last part that we're talking about uh, that ends it and takes us on to whatever comes next. I was like, okay with that. But the main kind of resolution to the, to the crisis, the, the battle, if you will, I found completely underwhelming and was like super cheesy. It was just like a cheddar sandwich with cheddar bread. It was it was a bit too much. I know like I like Interstellar and a lot of people hate Interstellar. They found it to be very cheesy in the end. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Are you saying this was a triple mac and cheese? This was <laughs> with a dry biscuit. <laughs> there's no there's triple mac and cheese, but there's no mac. <laughs> just the cheese sauce. It's just it's just cheese with cheese sauce on top. So the ending and the way it flirts with, and it's really the way this whole movie flirts with this idea of like what's real and what isn't. We're going to put a pin in that because that actually kind of raises a a big question for what I have for this movie and some things that I would have liked to see done differently. 
but that's for the second half. So let's start making our way there. Now, before we get into our rankings of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Alexis, how many people died in it? Well, I'm super excited to uh, talk about this more in the second half, um, but I'm going to tell our audience for right now, we're just going to give a two with a little asterisk. Two and more. Two plus. And how many of those deaths involved animals? There are some animal deaths in this movie. They're strange. And um, yeah, there's just some things going on with some with some animals here. Uh, not a big part of the movie, but it does happen. So just, you know, be prepared. All right. So that's not ominous at all. Uh, let's go ahead and start getting into our rankings then for A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge from the year 1985. Was it a hack or a slash? I'm not going to... Talk about the horrible graphics, like in this. Well, there's no graphics, but like CGI because there isn't any. But like all of the, um, the effects. effects. There we go. Um, not that they were bad. I just know what they were, and I kind of like seeing those. Like I'm like, oh, this is interesting. But um, I have this idea of Freddy, and this is kind of how I was when we reviewed uh, Friday the Thirteenth, um, Part Two. Was I? I have this vision of who I want Freddy to be. And one, I don't get enough of him in this. And two, he's just not who I, who the kind of Freddy I wanted in this movie. Um, I thought it was so cool that there was a final boy. I've never seen that before. And, and I honestly like felt for him. Like he, he was like some of the things he, he was saying when he was like, you're not going to understand me. Like, cause that's true. Like if this was really happening, I am not going to expect you guys to, well, maybe you guys would understand, um, <laughs> but no one else. But honestly, this, it, it was just, it, it, it did not capture my attention at all. And I wish it would have played more. I like how it tied in the first movie a lot, but I wish there would have either been more or none. So with that, I'm giving it a hack. <laughs> wow, so unpredictable. <laughs> was that unpredictable? No, I was being sarcastic. Uh -oh. Yeah, like two weeks in a row. I'm going to jump aboard that train and hack this movie. Um, I feel like nobody's surprised by this. No. On paper, I love the idea of like, something killing you in your dreams because I love like a dream narrative. I'm super into like astral projection and things like that. I feel like they're really fascinating, but this movie didn't make a damn bit of sense. I didn't really like the main character. I didn't believe or understand any of the relationships in this movie. Um, there were plot holes that I was confused by. And then like the second half, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, I'm just going to be along for the ride. And I ended up just laughing most of the way. Um, so did I enjoy it? Yes. Um, was it totally killer pun intended? No. So this is getting a hack. Love it when we like revert back to the like OG definitions, you know, that's how you <laughs> know you to. really didn't like a movie. <laughs> I don't think it was a total joke or waste of time though. Exactly. Right. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I was a waste of time. It's in, it's in the gray era. This, this is definitely not the best rendition of Freddy Krueger, but I still think it's better than the rebooted version of him. I agree with that. So, what about so all much. twelve movies after this? <laughs> well, I haven't seen all of them, so I <laughs> they're better than this. I'll tell you, right. that's debatable. And it's 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 probably not the you know the the best ever version of a Nightmare on Elm Street, but I, I think in terms of a movie, it's an enjoyable watch. Like it has an okay yet silly and sometimes ridiculous story going on, but there's some interesting characters. And some like crazy, like crazy thick undertones going on. Like you could just sit there and dissect it, you know, watching it. But when looking back at it, you can kind of see the whole picture put together. And you're like, am I watching a movie or am I watching social commentary from the 1980s? 
And I hope, you know, Chris is going to help us dive more into that and Paris, especially when they do our Patreon special. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it a slash because I don't think it I don't think it was that bad. It just it wasn't the best. That's surprising. It's exactly what I expected. Everything is going according to plan. Chris is the only one that I have no idea what she's going to say here. For me, you guys know how I feel about 80s horror. It's very hard. It's very hard for me to connect to. Very hard for me to get wrapped up in. I've stated my bias. I love Freddy. So when I'm watching this, I'm having fun. And I, like it's just a good time. Like I don't expect to be... Honestly, I don't expect to be terribly horrified i don't expect to be so wrapped up in it i or think entertained oh my god stop <laughs> <laughs> sorry as far as like 80s horror goes i think the dialogue in this even though these are like these are some high school kids that i usually hate right in my horror the dialogue and the relationships i really like paris don't know what you're talking about you're a crazy person the relationships were great um I think, I mean, you know, some of the things like the parents and stuff are like dramatic, like, but that's what we expect. Like, especially the house party parents, like, okay, sure. And then the whole, the party itself. Okay, sure. But I think it was much better than most of the other similar settings and stuff like that. Um, There's for sure some holes in the story. Like, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And sometimes, like, if it's supposed to be because there's subtext, I need it to make sense. Like... Like, there's a whole section of this where I'm like, why did this happen? And then the ending has holes. There's holes. There's holes. Things are crazy. But it's Freddy. And I love Freddy. <laughs> Alexis is rolling her eyes at me. I get it. It's a good time. It's a good time. And you, I mean, you definitely should go into this knowing it's not Freddy's best. It's not the best Freddy. It's his B performance. Yeah. It's a it's a B-side <laughs> Freddy movie. B-side Freddy. But still Freddy, which is great. It's hard to hate on Freddy. I do wish he was in it more. I wish some things were different. But obviously, it's a slash. I'm sorry. I'm done. No, I was like, well, <laughs> she's in, but but a few times. It's I'm not. Like, hey. It's not perfect. And I'm not going to say that it is. You should definitely watch the first one. And then, like, if you're like, man, I could really use some more Freddy. You can watch this. Like, you won't hate it. It's an okay 80 slasher. <laughs> it's a slash. I feel like once again, Chris is the tiebreaker. That's usually how it goes. So here's the thing. I'm not Freddy Krueger's biggest fan. Right. Like Freddie's iconic and I have so much respect there. And this movie does something in that it takes this vision created by Wes Craven and then kind of defiles it in some ways. Right. Like this is a different Freddie. It's a moist Freddie. When I think about an 80s slasher, I think about a killer that I'm all about. Once we get into Friday the 13th part two and then three, once like Jason takes the reins, I'm all about it. Right. I just I just want to go on to the movie to keep seeing his kills. And in this movie, we don't get as much Freddy. I was waiting for more Freddy action, and it, you don't get as much except for this one pivotal moment, and that's a problem for me for a slasher. However, this movie did something unexpected, and even though I was waiting for more Freddy, I lived for more Jesse, and I lived for more of that subtext, and I lived for more of that messaging of, like, you know, beating your bullies. When I think about this movie, I think about... Is this one of those Nightmare on Elm Street movies that I would skip or rewatch? And this 100% has a slot in the ro- in the watch rotation. You know, there are some good nuggets to unpack, and we'll do that in the second half with the themes behind this movie. But even more than that, at the end of the day, it's still Freddy. And it's Robert England's Freddy. And that man doesn't have a bad performance. This may be a weirder Freddy because it's more like possession and less dream, but it's still a stand-up performance. So for that, it gets a slash. Thank you. So there we have it, folks. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 
Freddy's Revenge from 1985 gets two hacks and three slashes. Now, we have so much to unpack. There's going to be a lot to talk about in terms of the themes of this movie, in terms of, like, how this came to be made the way it was with our factor fiction, but we'll get there in a bit. This movie is available for online rental, so check it out and then join us in the second half where we can unpack our scores. Hey athletes, are you afraid of having a flat, tired pancake booty? Do you want a little extra support when you're on the court? Do your cheeks just need to breathe? Get the lift and bounce you need with Jocks for Jocks. Our patented polyester elastic will keep your bum high and tight on and off the field. It's like a bra for your ass. Jocks for Jocks. We hold you down by lifting you up. Welcome back. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Freddy's Revenge from the year 1985 has earned three slashes and two hacks. Now, we have a lot to unpack. There's a lot of themes to to really dig into here, and there's a lot of uh, moisture levels of Freddy to really get into. (laughs) But before we do, Alexis, what's going on with that gore score? Well, I was slightly before the uh, break, I was letting you know it was a two plus. I wanted to clarify that for our listeners. Um, so two, because I felt like this is a zombie movie, um, people were flying everywhere in the pool scene and then um, on the end in the school bus. So I'm like, and especially like this Freddy, usually I'm like, okay, don't, but don't you only die in your, sl- I, I didn't know. I was like, well, I guess they all died, even though it was one person's dream. I had no idea. So I was just like counted everyone. So we have the gym teacher and the friend um greedy 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 Greedy, yes greedy poor guy he's he's his bro he really was he came in his room and he's like i need to sleep with you tonight or something he had said i'm sure i have i think i had put some of the commentary in but um so my thing is and i'm sure maybe what some other people were missing too is like you're missing freddy so you're missing his gore too like um so you're missing all these. I swear. I'm like, okay, isn't there a higher body count normally? I'm like, there, there's never any mercy when it comes to um, Freddy. Right. But I think we make up for that a little bit with the stuff that happens to Jesse. That's what I was going to say. I mean, the nails yeah. popping out of his of his fingers and then his hand like sh- like shedding. Ugh, yeah. His, the skin on his arm ripping apart to reveal Freddy's sweater. That was gross. Yeah, that was super cool. He's going to have so many threads stuck to that wound. <laughs> well, I mean, that whole transformation scene, though, was pretty gruesome. It was fairly, I mean, it was it was kind of grotesque to see, like, the transformation. And you could see the eyeball on the back of the throat and then, like, the head pop out of the stomach. That and then he just crazy, bleh, yeah. crawls out of his body. That was the birth. It's like we got uh, non-kill gore. Like, gore unrelated to kills. Yeah, like when we were looking at the dogs with like baby faces. Yeah, I was Why? like, what is going on? Which I I liked. It was entertaining when he's coming out of like the stomach. Although I will look and see that it's clearly a dummy head. But yeah, I was like, this is interesting. This is so cool. Still doesn't make up because that was like one of two deaths in this movie. For when he comes out of his Alexis friend. just yeah. wants to see people get tortured. Yeah, no, I have to admit. When we're talking about kills, my favorite kill was the bird kill. 
Was it? Yes, because I freaking <laughs> am terrified of birds. And then that whole what? scene, I was like, I'm getting like Hitchcock vibes in this. Like, oh my goodness. Oh, I hate birds. Having a bird in the house is such like throwback vibes. Like if you met somebody now, like imagine you meet a man or woman. If you came over to my house tonight. Yeah. If you meet somebody, you're like talking to them, you like them, you go on a couple dates, you go to their house and they have birds. You're going to be like, "Who? what's wrong with you? You guys are weirdos. It is. <laughs> my oldest brother has birds. Okay, first of all, birds are really cool. Yeah, yeah, birds oh, are cool. Are. And they are super sweet, and they just want to hang out and be close to you. Okay, first off, they literally want to fly across the whole earth. And why do you have them in a cage in your house? Not only do you have Fact. them in a cage, you have them in a house, which is a second cage. A sure. cage in a cage? A cage in a cage. That, that being said, the bird scene was pretty nifty. Like, the spontaneous combustion thing mm-hmm. was, I did not expect it. First of all, I didn't expect it to have killed its partner like snap the neck or like bit it or whatever it was yeah. and then for it to like fly around and be attacking them and then just like poof explode into fire was not expecting that whatsoever it was the best kill <laughs> <laughs> she who says i need more freddy a completely unfreddy death is your favorite <laughs> what about you guys since we only have two kills i don't think i have a favorite kill because it's i mean what are we all gonna pick you one of have, the two or you can have someone at the pool party he threw a few people. Yeah, he did. I like the boiling water. Um, I love the scene where he peels back his head and it, there's just brains under there. Like, you know, that's a Freddy thing that to do. That is a Freddy thing. And yeah. I loved it. The, you know, is really Freddy? The tongue. Random creepy stuff for no reason. Phallic again. So we've talked a lot about like the moistness of Freddy um, being a detriment, but I kind of found it to be something that made it more successful as far as like the visual effects go. And it made me have a realization because old movies tend to have shitty effects right but the ones that have gotten away with it i'm thinking of alien i'm thinking of freddy uh they utilized like shadow and moisture because then you just get like little bits of highlights to like kind of get the gist of what you're looking at but then your brain fills in the rest so i feel like that actually worked kind of to its advantage but once he came into like the the full like daylight not daylight but like once he came out of the shadows, he was definitely way too wet for my taste. I so disagree about older movies having worse effects, but maybe that's just my <laughs> preference. I think anything with practical effects is going to look better than anything with CGI yeah, in it. Nothing beats the uh, Freddy coming through the wall of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and they did that with CGI in the remake, and it was awful. I was actually very curious how they did that. Yeah, or even the bathtub scene was awesome to see like on the behind the scenes of how like that's being done to give you another example uh hellraiser movies their effects are absolutely insane and disgusting and amazing and so well executed but like all practical and not all of them some of the newer ones obviously employed a little cgi but they like really like stretch the limits of what kind of grotesqueries you could show on film i mean they're literally talking about hell and there's body parts being taken apart and skin being removed and all sorts of crap like that but Way better than stuff I think we see today with with CGI. But he was still too shiny and smooth. I think the smoothness is what did it. Yeah, because I'm so used to him having craters in his face. I miss the craters. I miss the pointy nose. The pointy, like, that, you know, that classic... There's only a few scenes in in the first one where you can actually see his face. So there's only a few like actual angles of Freddy that we get. And there's that classic angle where he's just looking under the brim of his hat and he's got the pointy face. And and I definitely miss that in this. But um, I don't know. I'm not like the practical effects and CGI thing. I'm always like, 
I just assess everything individually. Sometimes I really like CGI. I actually liked the wall scene in the remake that was CGI and I like the practical. So it's just like, I don't know. Everybody's different on that. Like you definitely, Mac, you definitely prefer practical. Chris often does too. I'm just kind of like, whatever, like whatever looks good. Yeah. And in this movie, you're going to know like, it's going to be cheesy practical effects, but like, you know, why don't we just have a toy bus on top of a stack of rocks? (laughs) Come on. I did think of Mac when I saw that part. Because that was practical as fuck. Yeah, I could see the people standing behind the camera laying on the ground pointing the camera upwards in my head. Then again, you're also talking to someone who prefers, you know, the little model spaceships that they, you know, used camera effects to make it look like they were moving in space. So, yeah, my favorite visual always has to be and I think it's just a reoccurring theme in each movie is the boiler scenes. Like, I always love it. Um, I love the way they used cult like color in it which i thought was really cool um and just like the reds the greens i don't there might have been a blue um <laughs> i think there was just mainly those two but i really like those um I, I i've always seemed to be a fan of those and that was the thing that i was mentioning like where if you took the boiler scenes out of this movie i feel like it's hardly a freddy krueger movie it's hardly nightmare on elm street without those so those are super important i was just talking about it but my favorite was actually at the beginning with the bus and it's just because you go on this wild ride and i just enjoy that like you know the bus driver is gonna be freddy and it just anticipating it just made me happy and i think you know that part of that has to do with just me being excited to see freddy again my boo if you look really closely in that first scene when he's opening up the door, you see him. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Robert England. I was like, oh, is he supposed to be Freddy? And then that's <laughs> like, bam, I'm in the movie. So a question. A few episodes ago, we asked a question of, you know, whether or not we all really know what a boiler room does. Ryan, are you any closer to figuring that out now? I still feel exactly the same way as I felt before. I don't understand what we're doing in a boiler room ever. Like it makes a little more sense in like a factory than it does in the high school that they use in every single 80 slasher ever. But yeah, it's still anti-boiler room. But I mean, it's Freddy. It's hard to hard to complain about that. So without ever having looked this up, what if a boiler room is just like obviously where they boil water? But what if it's just like where all the hot water heaters for the building are? Because every thought. time like in the original and in this movie, at one point, the girl that's like walking through the boiler room like touches a pipe for no reason and it's like really hot. So I'm like, maybe it's just like hot boiling pipes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I get that. I get, it's definitely hot. That's what I thought. <laughs> there's, definitely, there's definitely a purpose for boiler rooms. I just don't understand why we always have to be in them in scary movies. Because they're spooky and wet. And hot. There's so many creepy places. And also there's like no business being in a boiler room at any time. It's just always a very important element that I'm always like, mm, what are y'all doing here? Did y'all just randomly <laughs> make a turn and you ended up here? When we watched Prom Night, the new one, and they were on the renovated floor, I actually thought it was going to be a boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> you Could were pretty close. In 1985, they would have done that. It's okay. It's the 2000s. We need to just run into a good HVAC system. Yeah, with some plastic hanging around. <laughs> That's it. I I love some of the dream sequences in, in the movie, but I absolutely love the really sweaty and hot scenes to where like stuff is like melting around them. Yeah, you do. And they're like covered in sweat <laughs> and they're like, ah, it's like a hundred degrees. Erotic. Oh yeah. You know what I'm into those hot and sweaty scenes. Oh, and that's why my mom loves this podcast. <laughs> What's up Alexis's mom. <laughs> but th- that being said, like everything's like melting around them and they're like covered in sweat and it's like absolutely like across the line. I mean, I feel like if you were, if you were that like 
hot to where you were just like seeping water all over the place. You're going to wake up. Oh, or if your house was 98 degrees, they're like chilling. I mean, they're like aware, but they're chilling. And they're like, it's 98 degrees. I'm like, I would have blown a gasket at 75. I was going to say it was 73 <laughs> in here today. And I'm like, fucking hot as shit. I actually was thinking, wow, it's hot in here. So my favorite scene in this movie is actually the one that makes the least amount of sense when you consider all things Freddy Krueger, right? In this movie, everybody dies outside of their dreams in real life, right? And it's debatable whether or not you can say that Freddy killed them or Jesse killed them. So obviously, Freddy is the one kind of possessing Jesse. But what is that person seeing? Are they freaking out because they're seeing Freddy? Or are they freaking out because they're seeing Jesse and we see Freddy? You know what I mean? Like there's some question marks there. But the pool scene when Freddy's wreaking havoc is my absolute favorite. It is probably like my favorite batch of Freddy kills outside of being in Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. One of them who's like dipping his toes into like meta right before Scream. Especially that kid who like has the audacity to try to negotiate with Freddy as, as if it's a hostage <laughs> situation. Like, man, what the fuck? Who was he? You think Freddy doesn't know everything's going to be okay? You are inconsequential, sir. You're inconsequential. However, I think when you look at that and you look at just the question marks that that raises, you know, you guys were talking earlier is, you know, what is real and what's not. I think there's a fine line for that within, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I think this movie falls on the wrong side of it because realistically, the closest that we get to discerning what's a hallucination, what's reality, and then what's a dream is when we see Freddy and Jesse in Grady's room when Freddy's literally erupting from him. That's the closest you get. And even then, I would have still loved to see Freddy destroying everything at the pool, but then see from the kid's perspective that it's actually Jesse going fucking crazy with a claw. Kind of like high tension, right? When you have that sudden moment of like, oh my yes. God, it is Jesse. I would have fucking loved that. But what about you guys? What do you think was a problem in this movie and how could it have been made better? I was definitely on that same boat, Chris. I was waiting to see somebody's outside perspective to kind of get a little more clarity on the situation. I think the worst part of this movie was the bird scene that we already talked about. Um, just because it's a bird flying around, it scratches the dad in his face and he falls to the ground, which was ridiculous. He and then was it explodes in the, the air. Bird. You don't fall when a bird scratches your face. That was, I was like, I'm Why is it your face? I would drop to the floor, stop, drop, and roll. You trip over yourself for sure. Oh my gosh. I thought it was just silly and ridiculous. And I was like, this didn't need to happen. And then the bird just explodes. You're silly and ridiculous. That's true. <laughs> but for me, the the real, the part where it lost me was the first kill with the gym teacher. Because that's where I was like, okay, Jesse fell asleep. And now he's going to a gay bar. Uh, his gym teacher's there in a leather harness, grabs his wrist in a very aggressive way. I'm assuming brings him back to the school as some sort of punishment for being at a bar, makes him run laps, makes him take a shower, and then is killed by a bludgeoning of balls and then being dragged by jump ropes into a shower, Bondage. spanked to death, and then killed. And at the whole time I was like, is this a dream? Is this real? Is this necessary? What, What is this and why? I was very, very bewildered by that whole sequence. I feel the same way and I'm glad that you brought it up because I didn't want to bring it up. But that whole scene completely it's like one of those things where like when he like shows up to that bar and stuff, you're just like, um, 
all right, we're just gonna we're just gonna go for the ride and see what happens. But I have no idea what's going on and or why. Yeah, I thought it was the dream because at one point when he's in the gym, you can see like the doorway in the distance is like completely red and like foggy and smoky. So I was like, okay, it's still the dream. And then all this crazy shit was happening with the balls and stuff. And I was like, is Freddy a ghost? Um, but then I knew the kill was going to happen and that the gym teacher was there. So I was like, so this has to exist in some way in reality. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was just full of holes in my opinion. Yeah. So I think the problem with that whole scene is that when this was written, there's been some debate, and, and we're going to explore this in this companion episode, folks. So if you get curious based off of this spark, then definitely go check that out. But there was subtext in this movie, and it can be argued as to whether or not it's subtext because some people feel like it's incredibly overt. But the writer of this movie wrote subtext to be homoerotic or homophobic. This is definitely with along the lines of having homophobic storytelling and looking at the horrors of like a young man str struggling with his sexuality and then looking at the violent manner in which that coach is killed after he's at a bar whether or not it's reality or not it all kind of falls into that line of like what the fuck is going on here uh how dare you have these impure thoughts and that kind of like is what it goes along with you know, when when Grady is killed and also when, uh, you know, Freddie is kind of vanquished at the end by the kiss of a good woman. A good woman saved him from his his demonic fucking shell. Uh, that would be his burdening homosexuality. Like it's it's fucking weird and it's inappropriate, but it's about like what was the real attempt there? Yeah, the fact that there was just like gayness and queerness woven into it all just made it more confusing. But can we agree that the coach was a predator? To those boys? Oh, for sure. He was worse than Freddy at this okay. point. Okay. Okay. Cool. Because I'm like, eh, yeah, I feel bad for the coach, but he made the boys hit the showers way too often. Did you uh, hear the conversation that Grady and Jesse had in the field when they like first started, like when they were first punished? Yeah. Yeah. Because they were like, that's where they fully alluded to like how like weird and predatory he is. And then it all just like completely came true. I figured, yeah, I figured they were just like talking trash like high school kids do, but then he randomly knows exactly what bar he's at and shows up there. I'm just like confused about Grady and Jesse. Are they friends? Is Grady his bully? Are they frenemies? What was that? Because there were times where I was like, okay, they're cool. And then other times where I was like, oh no, Grady's an asshole. Um, what did you guys take from that? Mackenzie, can you tell me if I'm right or wrong here in your experience? Okay, I can try. Men do this thing where they fight and then become great friends. It's a weird thing. That they do. Girls don't do this because girls fight and then hate each other for the rest of their lives. True. <laughs> and so this is like a newer kid to this area. They got in a fight. Bullies just like boys just do stuff like that. And then they fought and now they're happy and they're like this. Yeah. They got their shit out and now they're cool. Yeah. I So that sounds right based on movies that I've seen. Um, you didn't fight anybody and then become friends with them? I've never fought anyone. <laughs> yeah. So I never had this issue. I also never wrestled with somebody in the middle of a sports field. With their pants with down? With their butt out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like pull their pants down and then try to wrestle with them. So Speak for yourself. You weren't having fun. <laughs> yeah. I I am speaking for myself. That that never happened. We also, uh, we were talking about this earlier, but, you know, when I was, you know, when I played football, we had like the cup that would like slide into your athletic pants and we didn't just wear a jock strap when we were playing sports, which, you know, it was interesting in the movie when they like go to pants him and all he has on is the jock strap. Like, you could also wear underpants with that. I guess I'm thinking if I was playing a sport and someone pants me, I just have my underwear on. 
Yeah, but like he didn't have underwear on. Right. I mean, a jockstrap is a form of underwear. A jockstrap is underwear if your underwear like, didn't you underwear? cover your butt. Like, Wouldn't think about this a thong. Be a thong? <laughs> it covers the important part of my butt. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you're leaking out of your butt. It's basically he's going commando and then he gets pants. It's basically what happens. Commando from the back, <laughs> covered in the front. Oh, I regret this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I have dozens of these. Uh, They're also just like super comfortable. I imagine in the way a thong might be. Actually, no, I have thongs too. It's a different feel. So they did have an interesting friendship um, that kind of weaves a weird pattern throughout the movie uh, to the point of complete and total trust. When he goes over his house and just says, like, I need to be here and I need you to watch over me and, you know, like basically keep him safe from himself. Um, And then obviously he's very distraught when he realizes that Freddie has killed his friend through the use of of his body. Uh, So, yeah, by the by that point in the movie, they were they were very close. They had they had, you know, gained something. Yeah, I felt a lot for him through that interaction. And then the one he has with the um, chick. Um, after that, where like, and I said it earlier, it, she he was like, she's like, just tell me how you feel, tell me how you feel, and I feel like every girl says that to their boyfriend, and, and they're like, no, like you you won't understand, or it's not a big deal, and I totally like understood, like he like you you're seeing this from his perspective, and you're like you wouldn't understand if I said this dude named Freddie who tormented and killed these people that used to live in my house is um possessing me. Oh, totally believable. Like, yeah. so I could, and he was so panicked. He's like, you're not going to believe me. And to yeah. me, that I had, he had a great performance in this. He says, what do I have to do to make you understand me? And again, following, like thinking about that through the lens of like a young man struggling with his sexuality in the mid eighties during the height of the AIDS and uh, HIV epidemic. So think about that, right? Think about like the, all the nuance and dialogue through that line itself. One thing I will say, like, there's definitely some holes and stuff in these stories. Um, but Jesse's performance, like, as an actor, was amazing. But also the way they wrote this character, like, Jesse doesn't make dumb decisions in this movie. And I think that's something where if he was making dumb decisions, it would it would throw you off. Like, I think it would take any enjoyment out of this. But because he is doing so well, like, you're really latched in there. And he's not, like... I don't know. He's not calling stupid people that don't like him or he doesn't trust or something to keep him awake. And he just makes very smart decisions. And so you really feel like you're in his shoes. With that being said, I would like to share that my theory is that Jesse actually killed all those people. There was no Freddy around because Freddy's a ghost. But that's there's no way. I mean, there's no way to know like what really happened. Here's what we can know. We can know. That Wes Craven refused to participate in this movie for a number of reasons. One of them being he didn't like the fact that Freddie manipulated the protagonist into committing murder. So there you go. Yeah, it was very Candyman of him. Yeah. I like to I like to think it was all him. And the only thing that really doesn't match up with that is that all his friends are cool with him on the bus. That's the only thing that... That was a dream, probably. Yeah, nobody knows. It all doesn't make sense. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <let> you know. <laughs> Where it was, it wasn't. <laughs> so Grady's death in particular was was painful for me, especially when he's like banging on the door, screaming for his dad for help. I think we didn't get as much of that in the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, at least when we, like, you do kind of have that with, you know, Tina's death in the beginning and her boyfriend kind of watching helplessly. But this movie gives you this perspective of like, holy shit, all these people are dying and like they are so close to getting help 
but help just can't get to them, you know, despite whatever realm of reality it's in. But I think part of the reason why I cared so much was because of how much I loved Grady's performance. What do you guys think about the characters in this movie? You know, we already said that Mark Patton in particular had a great performance, but what did you guys make of, of the characters themselves? Yeah, Paris, what relationships did you hate or not understand? Almost all of them. So Grady and Jesse, weird friendship, frenemies, gay tension. Don't know what that was. Also, Lisa. Lisa fell in love with Jesse by the end of this, which I was like, what? Bitch, where? And then he said, I love you too. And I was like, what? When did that happen? And how? Because like, I guess you're the only ones going through this and you know about it, but it was very weak for me. Um, And then just like, obviously the parents were trash and there really weren't any other characters to speak of. It's hilarious. So it was just like the few bridges between characters in this were frail for me. I disagree with all your points. (laughs) (laughs) And now you have to tell us why. I didn't see the Jesse Grady relationship as weird at all. It's, it made total sense to me. Like they fought, they had to struggle together. And like, that's I, in my experience, that's how people are. And then you can be friends. Um, I thought the relationship with Lisa made sense because she was like, actively trying to help like be a part of what was going on try to figure it out like she kind of came in with the knowledge she was like the intelligent character and like you know let's go where he used to be and all this kind of stuff and then i mean the parents sucked but like again that's like 80s you know (laughs) 80s parenting i mean i totally liked lisa I thought Lisa was the best character because of the reasons that you just mentioned. Like she was really trying to like get him to tap into the psychic energy of it all. And like, Hey, let's go to this place. Um, so she was my favorite character for sure. But the, the love story didn't make sense considering they started out as like, Oh, he's like the poor kid that drives me to school. We don't really know each other that well. And by the end of this, like I'm going to kiss the ugliest face I've ever seen to save him because I love him. Beauty and the beast. (laughs) That kiss was stupid. It was a bold move though. You gotta admire that. Like, You know, regardless of whether or not you think they should be in love, she worked really damn hard to make sure that Jesse came back. That is some courage there. For sure. But why did the kiss have anything to do with anything? Especially because she's so bad at kissing throughout the whole movie. That is true. I did know that. (laughs) Well, I think they even said it, you know, he feeds on the screams. Like there was like some instance to that. So I think, you know, if you're kissing someone, it would be the total opposite of screaming. That is true. Okay. It could okay, be in the same thing. Could be in the same moment. <laughs> thanks, but... thanks for giving it a chance. <laughs> Love is the opposite of fear. So that kind of tracks. Yeah. So I mean, th- that whole point, the whole point of that was like her encouraging Jesse to to win, to overpower uh, Freddie and to take back control by not being afraid and to feel loved and to feel cared for and to feel there with her. Uh, because the whole the whole movie, she's like consoling her, consoling him through his his life's journey and through his struggles and you know that's why they they developed this love you know for one another because she's there for him even though she doesn't quite understand what he's going through and even though nobody else seems to she's there for him and he you know he respects that um she knows that that's the closest that he needs to to break the spell if you will but i I think the parents were perfect because they were so dismissive and because you know, the dad's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. He doesn't need to talk to anybody. He just needs a swift kick. And the mom's like, there's something definitely different here. We need to have him. He needs to talk this out with somebody. Right. And so it was just like such a perfect pairing of of, uh, of parents that like don't know how to deal with their son going through whatever it is, you know, that he's, that he's going through. 
And the bromance, I mean, yeah, it's a weird one, but they fought and they got a, a sense of intimacy with each other because they know that they can trust each other to be consistent and they know what to expect to expect from one another. And they've seen each other naked. That's also true. <laughs> Comparing the parents in this movie to the parents in the original, like think about how the dad was so involved in the narrative and the mom had like a full backstory of her own and like the alcoholism and everything. So just compared to those two, the parents in this one were just like so one note for me. Yeah. But it's like, it's a different story, right? So like, Keep in mind what this guy had in mind as he's writing it. It makes perfect sense that the parents would be unattached. And even the father in the first one, he may have been involved in the story, but he was dismissive of his daughter. He was like, oh, just go wait up there. And then he had someone say, hey, if anything funny happens, just let me know. But he didn't believe her for by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but it was like dismissive with depth. That's That's where the distinction was for me. Like, they were dismissive, but, like, with depth to it. Like, the mom was alcoholic, and she also, like, kind of actually knew what was going on. And the dad See, was absolutely not convinced I think they were, all. like, too stocky, probably. They did not fly off the page. I think the thing is, like, in the, in the original, you get really great performances from really great talent that they managed to get for that low-budget movie, right? And I think you're not going to be able to recreate that. But I do think that those parents were exactly who they needed to be for this movie. You have a mother who is loving and caring and wanting to know what's going on. And you have a father who, you know, like Max said, doesn't know how to handle what's wrong with his son and believes that a swift kick is the way to do it. Um, it it's, it's parents who don't understand their kids during like a, you know, some turmoil in their life, whatever that may be, you know, accusing them of being on drugs versus just trying to figure out what's actually going on with them. Yeah, that for me, read as incredibly authentic, annoying, super annoying, bad parents, but effective. I know that we're approaching our conversation about the ending. And since we were just talking about Lisa and Jesse's relationship, I have to tell you guys what I really wanted to happen, which I'm actually very sad didn't. After the kiss, it's Jesse and they're embraced. I wanted finger knives straight into Lisa's chest. I just wanted her to die there. Ooh. That would have been great. It would have been so good. It would have been so satisfying. It would have been really satisfying. Where like he was Freddy, he becomes himself again, sheds this like Freddy skin, and then still a Freddy hand comes out and kills her. God, mm. They should have hired me. You know what I think would have been even cooler though? Is when they're all facing the fear of like what's about to happen, the bus, you know, going out of control and driving them where they don't know and eventually going to end up in hell um, is they're all sitting there, you know, screaming and yelling in fear is to see her like yell towards the front of the bus, Jesse, no. Mm, yeah. I could have gone for that too. That would have yeah. been so great to see it solidified that he's still under, under the control of Freddie. Like he's the one like making the pedals go faster and he's, you know, he's steering the wheel and everything. Yeah. Cause it's driven by his fear. So what you're saying is you guys had all these things to change, yet you still gave it a slash. That's okay. No, I'm kidding. Hey, man. Yep. You could make this movie better, though. You personally could. <laughs> yeah, that would be better. <laughs> we, we criticize because we care. When science and technology lends us a time machine, we can absolutely go back and tweak this movie to be even better received than it was. Totally agree. If we get a time machine, that's definitely not something I'm going to worry about doing. Yeah, not on right. the list. Is that something you're going to prioritize? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty low. On the, like, if I have a time machine and I can live for a very long time, maybe I'll deal with it. But more likely, I'm going to go back and like pass my college classes. That's probably what I would do. <laughs> when they're in the classroom and the teacher pulls out a heart that is not a heart at all, just like slams an organ on the table that looks nothing like a heart and is like, it's the heart. 
that I was like, what? And then just a loose, huge snake in the classroom that Jesse wakes up and it's like wrapped around him. And somehow that's his fault. And the teacher yeah. like reprimands him for it. <laughs> You have to imagine this is like the very eccentric, like crazy high school teacher that we inevitably all had, you know, like just this <laughs> weird stuff. And you're like, why are you like this? And maybe has a flask in their desk. You never really Definitely know. has a flask in their desk. My science teacher gave us extra credit if we came in early and wiped down the tables. And I'm pretty sure it was just like only me and my friend who did it. So now I'm looking back like, eee. hey, that was a great practice for quarantine 2020. Did you have to change into some sort of uniform or costume to wipe down the tables? Oh, my God. No. Because that would make it more suspect. Yeah, no. I think one of the most important things that I can take away from this movie, the reason why I think it earns the recommendation of me to say like, hey, yeah, you should definitely check this out is because of what it is culturally, right? We're a few days into Pride Month, and ultimately, while this movie may have been written with some homophobic uh, subtext, it has now been received as really just a story of vanquishing your bullies and standing up and realizing that you are who you are and that's okay. And Jesse, you know, young men across America and across the world got a got a hero, right? Someone who is dealing with this. And you, you think about young men in that time in the early in the mid 80s, you know, with everything that was going on, it's so important to know your history. And I can't wait for Paris for you now to talk about, you know, a scream queen, a nightmare on Elm Street, because that in particular uh, lends itself so well to the message of this movie and really showing you that the writer may have intended one thing, but what society has taken out of it is something totally different. So folks, check that out. You'll be able to see down in the show notes below where you can access our Patreon feed. But for now, I think we do have a lot to learn from Max Factor Fiction. Let's let's find out. Let's find out how much we have to learn. So we see a couple shots of this, this house that supposedly, um, you know, the first family in the first movie lived in. So the real house that was used for the outdoor shots has the street number 1429, only one digit off from the 1428 used in the film. Lord, I don't know. Uh, Fiction. Fiction, random, why? I'm going to say fiction because at one point I saw the outside of the house and I was like, this looks like a completely different house. But then I looked and the house number did end in an eight. It is fiction because they're both actually 1428. Obviously, they have different street names, but you can actually look up the house on Google Maps and like see the front of it. It's pretty sweet. Uh, 1428 North Genesee Avenue. Uh, and it's got a red door, which is pretty awesome. Kind of kind of fun to see. All right. You guys should probably be able to get this one. But Mark Patton, who plays Jesse, has jokingly referred to himself as the first male scream queen. Oh, uh, fact. Yeah, probably fact. Feels like a fact. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> I mean, there's a documentary called scream queen yeah <laughs> what i found interesting in the movie is it caught me off guard um his screams oh they were great they made me put the oh, volume yeah. down so they're they're you know obviously like higher pitched than most like of the like super macho like male screams you would expect in a movie which i thought was great because if anyone's ever like screamed as a teenager this is what you sound like just saying <laughs> i'm actually hearing it again <laughs> <laughs> this movie brought in nearly double the money as the first film. Fat. Uh, this might be a numbers thing where you're... 
<laughs> is there a time frame that we're talking? This is let's just talk about what they grossed. This is a simple. <laughs> this is a simple thing. Oh my god. I'm gonna say fiction based on some number plot you have, but I knew it made more. It probably did triple or something. <laughs> I'm gonna say fact because I feel like Chris referred to this as being like a, a box office success earlier, but I don't remember. Yeah. So I'm gonna say fact. She said it was not a box office success, but then it was successful. And she said something about not she in America. Said it did great, but no did one great, in America. But not America. Like, yeah. So it is a fact. <laughs> yeah. It grossed like twice the money as the first film. It obviously made some money, but it wasn't as well received. So yeah, yeah, you got that. You got that balance. It grossed a lot in the box office because people were so excited about it. But then they saw it, they're like, "Oh, this is what this is." <laughs> <laughs> Same. I love Alexis's distaste for this movie. <laughs> I'm just glad I had you two hacks. I feel like I always give movie slashes. I'm like, hey. Now you hacked the hell out of some things, too. I'm glad I'm not alone this week, Alexis. Oh, you never alone. Well, most of the time you are. Yeah. I, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move along. Michael J. Fox was considered for the role of Jesse. Fact, they have the same hair. Was this movie pre or post Back to the Future? Doesn't matter. It's just your gut. Yeah. It does matter. It does matter because this if he was already in 80s. it, he doesn't want to... It's the 80s. Fact. I'm going fiction. Well, it was a fact, but he did have some conflicting commitments to Back to the Future and, of course, Teen Wolf. You were on the right track, Alexis. You knew. Indeed. He was too busy. You knew what would matter. Also, Paris, <laughs> what kind of uh, justification is because they have the same hair? I've never <laughs> had sound justification in this game. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> none of us do so last one here we've already talked about the fact that the writer specifically wrote in um some either homoerotic or homophobic undertones depending on who you're asking what time period you're asking uh but the fact that he wrote these in was unbeknownst to the director B- yeah bullshit uh <laughs> sorry not bullshit i just find that hard to believe how's the director not going to see the script it, it it's not about him not seeing it but him not necessarily picking up on it yeah so is the writer like saying, yes, hump a stick on a bed? And the guy is like, no. That was sexually charged, not necessarily gay. Okay, yeah. I was going more for the sexually charged because that's what I f- hyper-focus on. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, fiction. I'm going to say fact because I feel like it's very easy for gay things to fly under straight radar. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say fact because uh, I didn't necessarily pick up on it so um i can imagine a director would be in the same boat indeed it is a fact nice good job writer i feel like you're changing enough so that you're not just tripping them up on the difference of a few numbers when it comes to these budget questions (laughs) these box office questions that's that's what i'm trying i don't want to be too tricky most of the time i don't know we we did pretty good this time i feel like we did as a whole yeah i don't really remember what happened but i think i got a perfect score and there's really no way to say i didn't (laughs) i mean not an audio file but you know (laughs) that's okay it's cool i think if you were all at freddy's pool party you would have been slashed but not dead so there you go well thank you so much mac for that uh riveting education i feel like you always lend an air of credibility to this this little show we have going on but i do think there are other thanks in order it's not a good freddy movie if we don't talk about ryan as freddy as brunch freddy with an eye Ooh yeah so i'm sure that we can repost some of those pictures from when we reviewed the original nightmare on elm street um, and we had that amazing sweater, and uh, I drank some beer out of a Freddy Krueger koozie, and uh, what was it? A uh, 
Victory Golden Monkey? I feel like it was Victory Golden Monkey. At that point in the podcast, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what we were, we were drinking like, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, an awesome hat and legit scary Freddy glove. Uh, it was amazing. It was that a great time. photo shoot was great. Yeah. I miss brunch Freddy. I was unprepared, but I did coincidentally have red shoes on, so it worked well. So maybe we can make ourselves a promise that if social distancing is not as severe in when it comes time for our third anniversary, we can get together for a brunch Freddy shenanigan again. I will wear a brunch Freddy hat to brunch. I don't oh know if I can gosh. drink with a knife hand, but... Oh, I don't know if the knife is going to the next level. I'm like, what if I have a themed one here? But oh. okay, that. <laughs> I like, we like a home brunch. Well, time will tell what we have ahead of us, but for now, we want to know what you thought about this movie. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. There's still so much more to talk about, and you'll get that in our companion piece to celebrate Pride Month over on our Patreon. Uh, keep in mind, there are a number of ways that you can reach out to us. First at our website, hackerslash.com. And on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also hit us up at the Hacker Slash hotline. You can text us, call us, leave us a voicemail or an audio message. Our number is 757-606-0128. Maybe we'll send you a picture of Ryan as Freddy. That would be creepy. If you're currently stuck in a nightmare, but not sure if it's real life, but not sure if it's a nightmare, you could also send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. We're going to get a lot of emails. (laughs) And if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, consider becoming one of our patrons. Check out patreon.com slash hacker slash where you can earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month, including a bonus episode where Chris and I talk about gay shit. Highly on brand. We'll see you next time. Bye. Sweet dreams are made of these.